Hey there, and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. It's great to be here with you uh, for our service here where we're starting this brand new series. My name is John, by the way, with my wife Louise. We're the pastors here at One Church Gloucester. And uh, we're finding out who is in our church again, which is quite a fascinating thing. We've got people coming back to church for the first time in a long time. We've got new people that have joined us over the last year. And uh, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. And if you, when you're ready to, we'd love to welcome you for a service here as well. That would be great. And uh, so, yes, we, let's, let's get this going. This new series is called Hangry which is one of those unique words that actually sounds better with an Essex accent. So feel free to practice that with me. Hangry. You've got to elongate the A into the N. Hangry. Not bad, everybody. Not bad. That's pretty impressive. Uh, hangry. And, and the Hangry series is all about this. It's how to make your best decisions at your lowest moments. So how to make your best decisions at your lowest moments. Uh, and because this is a, a real thing for so many of us, we, we call these series, this type of series, this type of thing, we call it a Wisdom for Life series. And our Wisdom for Life series are here to help us make good decisions, to help us, more specifically, as Christians or as followers of Jesus, to make good wise decisions or to live life in a Christ-like way. Uh, but there is so much in this series that uh, even if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, maybe you're new to all of this, then uh, you're gonna, you'll be able to apply some of this wisdom as well, I promise, uh, as we dig into it. And this series, Hangry, really, I feel really good about it because it's food related. And like food it's just so close to my heart. Can I have a nod from anybody in the room? Like, it's just close. Food is close. I love, I love eating. I love food. I love eating food, especially. I love cooking food and eating food. I love buying food and eating food. I love going to restaurants and eating food. I love going to your house and eating your food. I love it when someone brings food in to the office and I get to eat their food. I love it when I get to bring food in, and I like to eat that food as well. I'll, I'll eat it roasted, slow-cooked, I'll eat it shallow-fried, deep-fried, stir-fried, or Kentucky-fried. However that food comes, I just love food, which causes a bit, thank you, which causes a bit of a problem with this series, because this series is kind of like setting up this idea of being hangry, because hangry is kind of a new word. Kind of a new word. As far as the Oxford Dictionary goes, it's only about two years old. And the word hangry means this. It means to be angry or irritable as a result of hunger. So it's actually the absence of food that creates this problem. So everybody knows somebody that gets a bit hangry. And if you're sat next to them, you can just give them an elbow and let them know, yes, that's you. You are like that. You're, you're, you get hangry. You know the hangry people, the ones who, uh, the ones who go, like, if you take them shopping to the supermarket on an empty stomach, they're just going to buy way more food, like way more snack food, the kind of stuff that's going to make it to our World Cup of snacks. That's the kind of stuff you buy when you go to Morrison's on an empty stomach. And I swear that must account for 99% of my Jaffa cake purchases come because I've gone to Morrison's on an empty stomach and you can woof down half a pack of Jaffa cakes before you even get home. That's because I live quite close to Morrison's. And if you stay in the car an extra minute, you can get the other half done and nobody needs to know. And it's the absence of food that makes us hangry and creates these like low moments in us, these low moods. Uh, and if you think about like our decision making and the decisions we have to make in life, it's unusual for us to make lots and lots of big decisions. 
In fact, we probably have, have, you know, we count on both our hands how many really big decisions we're likely to make in our life. But every day is made up of hundreds and hundreds of really small decisions, which means this, a load of those decisions are going to be made when we are at our lowest moment. So how do we make those decisions when we're hangry or hungry or maybe as we're going to show in in this story today that's going to be our key passage for the uh, for the series the like a season where you feel lonely disconnected lost you might say that feeling like I'm in a bit of a desert season or a wilderness season in my life at the moment and how do I make good decisions in those moments let's just take a look at where we are as a nation at the moment, emerging from a pandemic. We're all feeling like a little bit isolated and we're all trying to find out what are the good habits that are going to get me back in. And maybe COVID has made you hangry. It's got you down. It's got you disconnected. And what are we going to do? And maybe COVID, you might say this, you might say COVID has left me hangry, but answer this, what habits are going to help me thrive in this new season? What good decisions can I make to help me thrive in this new season as we emerge out of this? Are you feeling a bit hangry? Or when you do feel hangry, how do we make great decisions as we come out of that? Now, uh, our guide for this series, our guide for this theme, it's the same story we're going to use each time. It's a, a fairly well-known passage in the New Testament, and it's, and, uh, it's in Matthew chapter 4. So if you have a Bible handy or a, a Bible app on your phone, and you want to uh, get that loaded right now. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 4 in just a moment and read the first verse. But it's quite a, it's quite a big story, and, and in fact, it's a story that gets used quite a lot for how we apply Uh, things to our life and see challenges and wilderness type moments in our own life and just in case you don't know the story here's what's going on Jesus just been baptized by John the Baptist and it's seen as the the kind of the first moments after his baptism and his public life is about to begin and uh, it says this says that Jesus is ends up in his in a wilderness like a kind of deserted place and for 40 days he goes without food or drink how many people know 40 minutes makes us hangry. For, just me. 40 days of hunger, Jesus is in, could potentially be in the lowest of all moments, the hangriest of all moments that we could ever see. And he gets tested by the devil three times. And, that's the, and the narrative of this story gives us this interaction and, and, and what comes out because of it. Now, I don't know if you could last that long. And I don't, you know, I don't know what state a human would be in after 40 days. I've been told that's the absolute limit a human could survive without food. And we're told that's the journey that Jesus goes on at the start of this moment. I have to line up snacks to make sure I can get through long meetings. Anybody else? Can I get an amen? There's someone here who shall not remain nameless. Amy. He'll put a meeting on this week between 12 and 2 p.m., do you know what that is? That's all the lunchtime hours. All the lunchtime hours. Now, I have to make sure, I've, I'm, make sure I'm lining snacks and food. I had to bring lunch partway through the meeting. Thankfully, it's a good thing about Zoom, isn't it? Just take your laptop with you to the kitchen. Make lunch just to get through. I can't make it through a two-hour meeting without needing snacks. Here we get seeing Jesus pushing to the human limits to get 40 days with that at his lowest and hangriest, and we see this interaction. So hopefully you've got Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1 on the go. We're going to read it together. It says this. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
Now, the story does go on to give the whole interaction, and maybe in your own time this week, feel free to read that. But I, I, I think everything we need to know about this story is in that first verse. And now this is really important, because this story we actually use all the time when it comes to moments of testing and challenge in our own lives. So if you've ever used language like, God, I just feel like I'm in a bit of a wilderness at the moment. Or I just feel like I'm, I'm being a bit tested at the moment. Or I feel like the devil's got it in for me at the moment. Like you're using metaphor and language that comes from this story. And we use this language all the time as we face different challenges or low moments in our life. Now, this is which makes it really important how we read this story. Because how we read this story will determine how we read the wildernesses of our own life. Let me say that again. How you read this story will determine how you read the wildernesses of your own life. And the question is this, like, is this story about Jesus or is this story about the devil? And the answer to that question will dramatically change the conclusions that you draw from this story. Now, I think everything we do need to know about that question and all the questions connected to it come from the very first verse that gives us a bit of a, a summary of what was about to go, go on. Okay, So it starts, the verse starts like this. If you're watching at home, you can see it on the screen here in the room, just across there. It starts with this, then Jesus. Now, I might be giving away the answer to what I feel is the, <laughs> is the point of this story right from the top. It starts with Jesus. It introduces this story is about Jesus. Then Jesus. The story is about him. It marks the beginning of his public ministry. We're going to see the formation of the man, the, the formation of his identity. We're going to see how Jesus uh, emerges from this story, ready to bring God's freedom to people because of his sonship of his father God. We're going to, this story is about Jesus. It says, Jesus, led by the Spirit. This is where it, I think this is really interesting. There's a, there's a guide to this story. Somebody put Jesus in the desert. Who was it? The Spirit. And in this, you see a capital S there. That means it's the Spirit of God. Oh, hang on a minute. There's, there's, there's a reason for this wilderness. How does Jesus end up in the wilderness? Not by mistake. Not because he failed at something. But because God's Spirit led him there. And somebody might need to hear this today. Your mistakes may not have created this wilderness that you are in. Because that's not how Jesus ended up in his wilderness. It might not be because you failed. It might be because the Spirit has led you here. So Jesus, led by the Spirit, where? Into the wilderness, which isn't a specific location at the time the Gospels are, are, are written, but it is depicting a, a desert space, a, a place of lack, a place of disconnection and, and loneliness. And Jesus is led by the Spirit into this place, which is fascinating because um, while there's no obvious location to this, the word wilderness is used really deliberately. Now, some of you here, I can tell, you look like you know, like you look like you know your Bible a little bit. And you would know that Matthew, who wrote this gospel, when he tells you that Jesus was led into a place and he names it the wilderness, he's hoping you go, oh yeah. Like in the Old Testament, like during the Exodus, where, the, where, where God's people were led out of slavery in Egypt and on their way to the promised land, they go through a place which is also called the wilderness. So Matthew's like going, oi, oi, in the wilderness, wink, wink, nod, nod. Do you get it? 
Like, just as, was there another son of Abraham who was called by God to bring freedom to God's people and then release them into the promise? Yes, that's what Jesus is going to do. Only Jesus is going to do it on a much bigger scale than Moses managed in the Old Testament. So there's a lot going on, just in saying, into the wilderness. And, and, and this, is what, this is part of the problem of how we define wilderness, is that we see it as a detour or a detraction away from what God has in store for us. But that's not the way the wildernesses were used in Scripture. Uh, yeah, it might have taken, it might not have been the most direct route from Egypt to the place they called the Promised Land, and it might not be the most the way that you would choose to go from where you were yesterday and where you want to be tomorrow. But uh, it's still part of the route. It's not a detour; it's the tour. It's not the thing that's going to take you away. It's going to th- it's going to be the thing that takes you through this wilderness. Here's how I'll help describe it, okay? Uh, so if, uh, if you want to go to Dagenham, there's people laughing in the room, I don't know why. You might want to go to Dagenham, okay? It's got four McDonald's. That's quite a high McDonald's per capita, thank you. All right, so maybe you want to go to Dagenham and visit one of the four, or all of the four McDonald's. You take your pick. Um, now, to get there from Gloucester, you're going to have to take the M25. The M25 is a circular road. Hopefully everybody knows that or if you're not familiar with English geography, it's a round motorway. You join the motorway, and there's a chance you never, ever leave unless you pay attention to the junction you're meant to be getting off. Now, here's what's true of the M25 or of uh, any ring road uh, anywhere in the world. Here's what's true of the M25, any, any ring road. When you are on it, you are both simultaneously getting towards Dagenham and away from Dagenham at exactly the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, it might feel like you're not taking the most direct route. So, for example, you're going from Gloucester and you get to the M25, you should go northbound. Northbound. Say it with me. Northbound. But even if you went southbound, to go south of the river, then you could go southbound and you would still be driving towards your destination while also driving away from it because that's how ring roads work, right? Give me a nod if you know what I'm talking about. And that's true of wildernesses. They're like ring roads. And you might join it at a different point, and you might be really clear of your destination. But here's what you need to know. Despite it feeling like a detour, I'm telling you, it's not a detour, it's the tour. And every step you take through your lowest season, you need to know you are making a step even both away, but also towards that at all times. And that's where we're stepping and edging closer. Maybe another way of understanding a wilderness season, a low moment, is this. Wilderness is the gap between yesterday's praise report and tomorrow's promise. And this is where we find Jesus in this story, led by the Spirit of God into this space, which isn't a detour, but the tour. It's this gap between the promise and the calling of who Jesus was, uh, 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 the report, the praise of, of who Jesus was called to be, and the promise of who he was about to become. The wilderness was all part of the plan. Because we see this. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. Ah, there's divine purpose in this wilderness. It's not just a a certain amount of hours we have to clock up before we qualify. It's not a certain amount of tasks we have to fulfill before we're allowed in. It's just part of the purpose. And the purpose here is he's to be tempted. And it's a setup. And the setup is by the Spirit of God for Jesus. He is about to be tempted. It's not a wasted wilderness. I don't know if anybody else has ever failed their driving test. 
But I did, but I only did it so I could use it as an illustration in this message today. I'll tell you, when I got out of that car having failed, I swore that that examiner was the devil. He was trying to bring me down. He was trying to, he was trying to fail me. He was, trying to, he was trying to find excuses not to give me the pass certificate at the end of the test. He was desperate to fail me. I'm telling you, that examiner was the devil and the one after him. And, and the one after him. Now, in this story, what we're seeing is the test was not created by anyone other than the Spirit of God. Which helps us see this. The test isn't to reveal how bad Jesus is. The test is to reveal how good he is. And my driving instructor didn't sign me up for the driving test to prove that I could fail. He signed me up to reveal, actually, he thought I would pass. He signed me up to reveal that I was good enough and qualified to drive. I just, I just didn't get through that test in the way that we all hoped. And I got out of the car and I swore that the examiner was the devil. Uh, turns out he wasn't. And I went back to my instructor. My instructor was like, hey, unlucky. Don't worry about it. Let's have another go. We'll make sure you're ready. It wasn't to prove that I was a failure. It wasn't to prove that I was terrible. It was just to prove, oh, I thought you were ready. But it's all part of the test. And the test isn't from the devil here. The test is from the spirit. And then we do get to the devil at the end of this, which is interesting because the devil here isn't the name of somebody. The, uh, this is actually a, a, an adjective word. It's a description word, which means uh, tester or accuser. So there's someone in this story that's called that's, uh, the tester and the accuser that's brought in at the end of the story as, the, as the, the person who plays out the role that brings the tests to Jesus, which is really interesting right, uh, right here. And I want to say, like, that I asked this question at the start of this verse. I said, like, who, who do you think this passage is about? Who do you think this story is about? Because who you believe it's about will dramatically change and impact how you apply and use the metaphors of this story. And, if, uh, and I think this, because I think that when I have to put all of those pieces together, I can only see that this is a story about Jesus who was called by, by his father, sent by his father to come and bring freedom for all people and, and for us to see him go through that wilderness and go through those tests to reveal what? Now, I can't give it away because in the next three weeks we're going to look at those three tests. But those three tests show us, they told us that he was loved by God that he was provided for by God. They show us that he was, he was here in relationship with God. And this moment comes where we see him pass those tests and move into the promise after that. See, I think uh, we should remember that when these wildernesses are spirit-led, they don't reveal how inherently bad we are. They reveal how good we are. And when Jesus was led into that wilderness to be tested, it's the same thing. It wasn't to reveal how bad he was. It revealed how good he was, about how qualified he was, about how ready he was, because the wilderness readies us, not wrecks us. We're going to finish this message in just a second, and I, I want to lead us to a place at the end of this where we're ready to maybe just look, think about this story a little bit differently and how it affects the decisions and the choices that we make. And I want to ask, ask this question before we do that. And who do you think told this story? And this, this, this story is in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And all of the Gospel writers relied on eyewitness accounts for them to bring their stories to, to the pages that they, that they wrote. And there aren't any eyewitnesses here other than Jesus. Which means this. 
Jesus wanted, wanted us to know that he went through this wilderness. He wanted us to know that there's a journey for us to go through because to follow the way of Christ means we'll also find our way through wildernesses. That aren't going to wreck us, they're going to ready us. But to follow these ways of Christ mean that his spirit leads us to places that we might be less comfortable in. Places that we wouldn't choose to be in. Places that we'll describe as low moments or wilderness moments. But when the spirit of God leads you to these wildernesses, remember this. It's not to show how unqualified you are. It's not to show how bad you are. But these tests are going to reveal how good you are. That you are loved by him. That you are accepted by him. That you are welcomed by him. And that you are good. And this is how we make our best decisions in our lowest moments. Because uh, when we make a decision because we feel, sh- at, feel shamed or we feel bad, we're more likely to make a decision that sabotages ourselves. But when we make a decision from a place of knowing that we are good, suddenly, suddenly, it changes the framework in which we see both that decision and the whole framework or wilderness that we see ourselves in. Come on, some of us do this all the time when we know someone that's stuck in a shame cycle, making a bad decision and the bad decision ends up with a bad result and then, then, then we say something like, I deserve it. I deserve this. I made a bad decision. I, d- I deserve the result of this. And then because we feel like we We deserved it. We then make another bad decision and the loop goes round and round and round and round. And my prayer is that today we would know if the Spirit of God has led you to the season that you are in, please break the shame cycle. Please know that decisions you're making can be absent of shame and guilt, but guided by God's unfailing love for you instead. Uh, I'm going to pray and we have a, a short part of a song that we're going to play together. And, and it's a song that got really, really popular in the last year. Uh, and it's, uh, the words of the song are from an Old, uh, an old Testament passage, but uh, the, the, the putting it to music was a fairly new thing. And it blew up. I mean, when, when you know what the song is, you'll go like, oh yeah, I watched that. I shared that. I watched it on YouTube. Uh, we, did a, we did our own version of it because everybody had to. Uh, it's called The Blessing. And the reason that I think that this song absolutely blew up last year was because it was saying things that we don't hear enough. That God is for us, not against us. That he is with us, not far from us. And for us to make those statements, I think is a healthy thing for us to do, to remember that this is a wilderness season, sure. But it's not a detour, it's the tour. And when the Spirit of God leads you through these seasons, he has purpose for you. And he wants to reveal through these testing times how much he loves you, how much he's with you. And even if you make the wrong decision, somehow it's a, you decide that that's a bad decision you made in the middle of it. Do you know who's still there? The driving instructor. Oh, sorry, God. He's still there. He's still there. Because he's for you, not against you. And he is so with you. Now, I don't know if you have a daily prayer habit or something that you st- a way that you start each day. But I thought... Maybe as a, over the next three weeks, as we introduce some new habits, maybe this will lay a good groundwork for those new habits. Here's a little prayer, maybe that we could start each day with this week. Maybe we could say, today I couldn't be more loved. I couldn't be more free, and I couldn't be more at the centre of his plans for me. Now imagine if you started every day like that, 
how you then made all of those little decisions and the occasional really big decision from that starting point, from that starting point. Come on, he is for you and not against you and he loves you so, so much. Can we pray together? And then this song is going to come on. I encourage you to take a moment to listen, allow those words to uh, be sung to you. And if you can speak those words out and sing those words, I encourage you to do that. If you're here in the room, uh, we're going to watch this, the, the song as well and allow those words to be spoken and pray those words in your heart. We're going to pray this. Thank you, God, that you are for us and not against us. Thank you that your love never ceases. It is a steadfast love. Thank you that when we taste and see, we see that the Lord is always good and I pray for people today that are breaking a shame cycle I pray for people that are make, trying to make good decisions they would know they are loved by you first and foremost in the name of Jesus Amen